The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy weekend to you. Happy New Year's to you. Rick Edelman here. Gosh, I haven't talked to you since last year. Welcome to the program. So glad that you're with me today. And as we begin the year, everybody is, of course, very excited, very happy about the fact that 2020 is finally behind us. The year that we all wish never had occurred and we're thrilled is over with. And unfortunately, I hate to tell you this, and you already know what I'm going to say, nothing is over. We are still faced with the depths of the pandemic and all of the issues associated with it, although our future, we hope, is very bright as the vaccine increases its distribution rate throughout the United States and around the world. But in the meantime, we're still dealing with the issues at hand. Unemployment is as bad as it's been. We've hit a three-month high in the unemployment rate last week. Household debt has now also hit $16 trillion dollars. We've increased our debt at the fastest pace in the past two years. Two million workers during the pandemic have had to go to their workplace retirement plan and withdraw cash because they needed the money to help them pay their bills. And four million Americans completely left the workforce. Now, I don't mean that they're unemployed. We have a lot more unemployed than just four million. I mean, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 4 million are no longer looking for work, let alone not working. 36% of unemployed workers have also been unemployed for 27 weeks or more. 13% of Americans are going hungry. 9% face homelessness. And there's been a 43% increase, though, in new business applications, which shows that, yeah, Phoenix does rise from the ashes. But it is, in the meantime, continuing to get worse. Coca-Cola announced that they're laying off 1,200 U.S. jobs. That's 12% of their workforce. And even hospitals, you would think, boy, they're in a banner business with every ICU bed filled as a result of COVID. Not so much. Mayo Clinic, which earned a billion dollars in 2019, lost a billion dollars in 2020. Hospitals are losing $50 billion a month because they're not performing elective surgeries. They're not making money on medical tests such as cancer screenings and radiology and such. And as a result, 1.4 million healthcare workers lost their jobs just in the last month, including 134,000 employees. So it's really a rather dicey situation. As a result of all of this, according to the new data from the Commerce Department, 57% of Americans spent less on Christmas this year than in prior years. Retail sales rose 2.4% compared to last year, but that was a third lower 
than economists had expected. And retail sales they were down not just in December, but also November and October. Across the board, pretty much, automobiles, electronics, appliances, gas stations, department stores, clothing, restaurants, bars. It's a big deal because consumer spending is 70% of the economy. So in the midst of all this, with the rate of infections at an all-time high, with the rate of deaths at an all-time high, with so many unemployed at a peak over the past three months. What's the stock market doing in all of this? Well, the stock market's hitting all-time highs itself. Since the March low, the Dow is up 66%. The S&P is up 70%. The Nasdaq's up 90%. Even the foreign markets, they're up 60%. Even bonds with interest rates near zero, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, up 7%. And home prices, the average home price since March, is up 140%. That can't be right, is it? Oh, my goodness. Now, those are the numbers since the March low, after the markets fell 35% last spring. Year to date, starting January 1 of last year, all the way through December 31, the Dow's up 7, S&P up 15, the Nasdaq's up 42 Barclays bond index up seven, the foreign markets are up six, and home prices are up almost 10%. What is Wall Street's reaction to all of this? Well, one chief investment officer of a major firm was quoted by the New York Times as saying, quote, sentiment indicators are moving toward euphoria. IPOs set a record. They raised $175 billion this year. SPACs, special purpose acquisition vehicles, these are companies that go public not knowing what company they're going to later go buy. They raised $60 billion, more money last year than in the previous 10 years combined. Investors basically engaging what's called a blank check investment. You're making an investment into something. You have no idea what you're buying. The first day return for IPOs this past year averaged 40%. That's the highest ever, except for 1999 and 2000. Even the stocks that are the most shorted, in other words, not every company is going to do well, and investors expect some companies to do poorly. If you look at the stocks that are the most negative sentiment, the stocks that people think are going to fall in value the most, Those stocks were up 40% this quarter, three times more than the Russell 3000 index itself. I mean, it's crazy. Even the stocks that were supposed to do the worst ended up doing the best. Now, every time this has happened, every time the Russell 2000 has risen 95% from its low, it lost money over the next three months. Right now, it's up 100% since March. Not a good omen. Over the last 22 days... There have been 22 million call contracts traded each day. That's a record. While put call ratios down to a 10-year low. What does all that mean? It means investor sentiment in the options marketplace is extremely optimistic. So is the weekly investor sentiment at the American Association of Individual Investors. They publish a weekly sentiment, and the average is a 38% bullishness, meaning on average, 38% of their members are optimistic about future stock prices. That's the average, 38. You know what it is right now? 48. Much, much higher. Well, no wonder the New York Times published a headline last weekend saying, quote, market edges toward euphoria. They quoted Charlie McElligot, the market analyst at Nomura Securities. He said, quote, the market right now is clearly foaming at the mouth. BAML, Bank of America Merrill Lynch, has released a report referring to stock prices as, quote, frothy prices, greedy positioning. 
It's kind of crazy. Look at what's been going on with stock prices this year. DoorDash went public. The stock went up 86% on the first day. The very next day, Airbnb's IPO came out. It went up 113% in one day. Neither one of those companies has ever made any money. (laughs) Does that make any sense? And they're not alone. QuantumScape, they went up 144% in December. Etsy is up 330% this year. 908 Devices up 150% on the first day of trading. And then, of course, there's Tesla up 700% this year. For companies that went public in December, the average price rise on the first day of trading, 87%. That's the highest since 2000. And the P.E. ratio itself, 22. The higher that number, the riskier stock prices are. That number hasn't been this high since 2000. By the way, do you remember what happened in 1999 and 2000? Yeah, it was the dot-com bubble bursting. Investors are so giddy. That they're not merely buying a lot of stocks, they're borrowing money to buy a lot of stocks. Margin balances are at a record high, $14 billion into leveraged and inverse ETFs, meaning people are buying investments that will double or triple the stock market's profits in an effort to truly get rich quick. So we have to ask ourselves, is this euphoria-based in a reasonable, rational approach, or are these investors setting themselves up for failure? Nobody knows, but the regulators are getting unhappy with the behavior of some outfits in Massachusetts. The regulators there have filed a complaint against Robinhood, a 24-page complaint saying Robinhood has been aggressively marketing to inexperienced investors, failing to protect them. It says Robinhood has exposed investors to unnecessary trading risks that fall short of the fiduciary standard. And they've noted that Robinhood incentivizes frequent use by customers who have no experience to do complicated trades. Robinhood's got 13 million accounts, and they say one customer with no investment experience made 12,000 trades in just six months. The SEC has already fined Robinhood $65 million for repeatedly failing to disclose how it gets compensated. Robinhood already paid FINRA a $1 million fine, and Robinhood's not alone. The SEC has filed actions against five other firms for unsuitable sales of complex ETFs. American Portfolios, Benjamin Edwards & Company, Royal Alliance, Securities America, Summit Financial Group, they've all got to return $3 million to harmed investors. And the SEC has gone after BankWest Investment Services in Nebraska, saying they put clients into high-cost mutual fund shares when lower-cost options were more available. It all has to do with whether or not you're getting the advice you need that is serving your best interest. And that is why, as we face the beginning of 2021, trying to figure out the path we need to take with our investments to achieve our financial goals, to preserve our financial status, and avoid the risk of disaster, you need to know that you can rely on the people you're turning to. And when we come back on the program, I'm going to show you how you can, in fact, proceed with your New Year's resolution to get your finances in better order. So stay with us here on The Rick Edelman Show for much more, plus lots of phone calls here on this New Year's weekend. Stay with us. Named by Investment News as the nation's largest independent registered investment advisory firm, this is The Rick Edelman Show. 
How much do you need to save for retirement? Hi, I'm Rick Edelman, founder of Edelman Financial Engines. The question's simple, but the calculation can be complex. How much you need to save for retirement depends on how much income you want, what outside sources you'll have, like Social Security and pensions. And here's the good news. You don't have to guess. We can give you the answer. For more than 32 years, we've shown people just like you how much you need to save for retirement and how to invest it. And now's your chance. Call us for the personal financial advice and investment management services you need with local offices to serve you. At Edelman Financial Engines, we're happy to help you whether you have a little to invest or a lot or anything in between. Come see why thousands of folks just like you rely on Edelman Financial Engines. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. Or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. We just talked about how wonderful the financial markets did in 2020. Ain't it great? Aren't you surprised? Happily, I might add, because you own a diversified portfolio, don't you? And you have seen the value of your investments rise. Who would have thought that in the midst of the pandemic, right? And this is just reinforcement of why it's so important you maintain a long-term investment horizon, why you maintain a diversified portfolio, why you rebalance it along the way, and why you don't allow yourself to panic in the face of what is very often scary news with lots of uncertainty filled out. 2020 was a wonderful opportunity to learn for understanding how the financial markets work, meaning they work in unpredictable ways. They work in a very mysterious way. No one was able to predict what was going to happen. And that is demonstrated by the fact that Wall Street never saw the pandemic coming, didn't know how the markets would react. And look where we are ending up the year even better than where we started. And so it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Makes you wonder what 2021 is going to bring. And keep in mind, just as Wall Street analysts weren't able to predict 2020, don't assume they're going to be able to predict 2021 either. There's a lot of optimism. We have a new administration coming into office and a new Congress coming into office. We have the pandemic vaccines being rapidly distributed worldwide. There's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of optimism. The only question is, is it going to be panning out the way everybody is hoping that it's going to? We're going to have to wait and see. But look at it this way. If you have a long-term time horizon, 10 years or more, then none of this really seems to make much difference, does it? So the real issue here isn't trying to choose the investments or even the investment strategy. The real key is choosing the investment advisor, isn't it? And making sure you're laying out the right goals and objectives for yourself. So let me share that with you. The Department of Labor has just unveiled a new fiduciary rule. It aligns with the SEC's new regulation, Best Interest. This new rule from the Department of Labor pertains to all financial advisors everywhere who provide advice and services to workplace retirement plans, to IRAs, and to IRA rollovers. Unfortunately, the rule exempts brokers, banks, and insurance agents. That doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, does it? Those folks can continue to earn commissions, 12B1 fees, trailing commissions, sales loads, markups, and markdowns, and receive revenue-sharing payments from third parties. They'll be able to still do all this, even under the new rule. And it really raises the issue, who can you rely on, to whom can you turn when you're seeking financial advice? Would you ever hear of the annuity king of Sarasota? 
federal prosecutors have. The guy's name is Philip Wasserman of Sarasota, Florida. They just accused him of stealing $6 million from elderly investors. In all of his marketing materials, he called himself the Annuity King. He operated under several names, Philip Roy Financial Consultants, Philip Roy Financial Services and such. He held seminars touting annuities that were attended by thousands of Florida senior citizens, some of whom have now sued him. Prosecutors are now charging this guy with tax evasion, filing false tax returns. They say he evaded almost a million dollars in taxes. The guy is 63, a lawyer and an insurance agent, and he apparently allegedly spent investor money on his lavish lifestyle. Faces 20 years in prison on counts of fraud and tax charges and whatnot. And in the world of annuities, guess what GE has just announced? They just transferred $1.7 billion of its pension plan obligations to an annuity with an outfit called Athene Holding. This affects 70,000 retirees of General Electric. People who had a pension with GE, and GE is saying, we're going to get rid of our pension obligation. We're going to shift it over to this annuity company. And the pension plan retirees have no say in the matter. This is further illustration, evidence of the importance of you making sure that you are getting advice from an organization that you can rely on to serve your best interest. And tied in with all of this is the fact that you most likely do have financial planning as a New Year's resolution, improving your personal finances, making better investment strategy, saving more money, improving your returns, etc., most folks fail in their New Year's resolutions, and there are a couple of reasons for this. So I want to share with you exactly how you can indeed set an effective New Year's resolution and keep it and actually achieve it. Four simple steps. Number one, and this is the first mistake most people make, set one goal. Yep, just one, my friends. The biggest cause of failure is that people set too many goals. I want to lose weight. I want to exercise more. I want to save more. I want to visit mom more. I want to travel more. I want to read a book. If you set a whole bunch of goals, I mean, we all have lofty aspirations along those lines. It's hard to stay focused. It's hard to even remember what all these different goals are. So, one goal. Better to succeed at one than fail at five, right? Set one goal. And if your goal, whatever it is, step number two, make sure it's a positive goal. Have you set a New Year's resolution to lose weight? That's a negative goal. Lose is a negative term. Don't set a goal that says, I want to lose 10 pounds. That's negative. Nobody wants to lose anything. We want to win. So do this instead. Instead of saying, I want to lose 10 pounds, say, I want to be 140 pounds. I want to be 200 pounds. I want to be 180 pounds. Whatever the number is, set the positive goal. Put into your mind who you want to be, not who you're trying to get rid of. So make sure your goals are positive. Number three, make sure you set a date. A goal is not a goal until there's a date attached to it. You can't say vaguely, I want to accomplish it this year. What you want to do is put a specific date on it. And it's really hard to say where you'll be in December 
oh, I want to lose 10 pounds by December. Well, what about the 11 months prior to that? If you use a vague forward date, it's undefined, unprescribed. Instead of saying you want to lose 10 pounds in December, let's say you're 150 and want to go down to 140, then what you really want to say is that in February, you want to be 149. In March, you want to be 148. In April, 147, etc. And not even February, March, April. February 1, March 1, April 1. You want to set the specific dates. And you can do this with money just as easily. In the month of January, I'm going to save $100 or $1,000 or $10,000. It doesn't make any difference. Whatever you want to lay it out to be. Be specific. Set a date and Take a big goal, carve it into tiny little goals. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Same thing with saving money. Don't say, I want to amass a million dollars. Talk about how much money you're going to save today, right now, this week. And if you do it on that kind of a basis, that sets you up for step number four, stay focused. Keep the daily goal in front of you at all times. That is how you'll achieve it. You walk the world by taking a single step first. I'm Rick Edelman. Let us help you figure all this out. And we'll be happy to do it just like we've done it for thousands of folks just like you. 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at ricedelman.com. Stay with us. Author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Hi, I'm Rick Edelman with a warning. Millions of people are buying stocks they think are low in price. Watch out. A lot of investors have no idea the risks they're taking. But you're holding steady, right? You haven't made a trade all year. That could be a problem, too. With COVID on the scene, you might need more in cash than before. and Maybe you need to reduce your market risk as well. Are you sure your portfolio is COVID-ready? Call us at Edelman Financial Engines, and let's review your investments and your entire financial situation and see if you're in good shape as this crisis continues. It's not the time to go it alone. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. Talk with one of my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines. We'll review your portfolio and make sure you're ready for what comes next. And we'll help you get through this crisis just like we've helped clients get through every crisis for the past 35 years. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. Online at ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. I was talking earlier in the program about the importance of a couple of things, setting New Year's resolutions effectively and a good plan for helping you achieve them. Number two, when it comes to your investment strategy, maintaining a long-term investment perspective, as 2020 demonstrated, right? Being diversified, not putting all your eggs into one basket, again, as 2020 demonstrated. The importance of rebalancing, uh, as well, of effective money management, and the need for choosing a financial advisor who 
indeed will be serving your best interests as opposed to a product-pushing, commission-based sales rep who's trying to line their own pockets more importantly than they are trying to help you improve yours. A couple of weeks ago here on the program, I shared with you the notion of what does it cost to get a financial plan from a financial planner. And I gave you the statistics of a recent survey of financial advisors around the country, which revealed that the average cost of a financial plan is about $2,500. It's a one-time expense to go through that planning process. And I noted that here at Edelman Financial Engines, our standard fee for financial planning is $800, about a third of the uh, national average. Uh, and that we don't even assess that all the time. It depends on the client's circumstances and situation to determine whether we're going to assess that fee. But uh, what I didn't mention when I talked about the financial planning fee is that you are going to incur additional costs when dealing with a financial advisor beyond just the financial planning fee. So, yeah, you've got the financial planning fee, which is an analysis of your current financial situation and a plan for how you can increase your wealth, meaning based on your circumstances and based on your goals and your ability to save how much money you're going to need in the future and developing a plan for getting you from here to there. In other words, here's how much money you need to save on a monthly basis, and here's where you need to save it. Here's the rate of return you need to earn in order to achieve your goals by the deadlines you've established, whether it's getting a kid to college or your own retirement or what have you. So fine, 2,500 bucks is the cost for getting that plan here at our firm, 800 bucks. But when you implement the plan, you're going to incur additional costs because the plan is a roadmap. The plan is telling you how to go from here to there. It doesn't actually get you to do it. In other words, I can tell you that it'll take you six hours to fly from one side of the country to the other, but that doesn't involve the cost of the airplane ticket. Now, does it? So when you implement the plan, you're going to buy investments and those investments are going to cost money. Even very cheap mutual funds and ETFs have some expenses. If you're buying stocks and bonds, you might incur transaction costs to do that. Uh, certain other investments, if you invest in real estate, you're certainly going to be paying a lot of fees, real estate commissions and property taxes and property insurance. You're going to pay expenses when you buy insurance of any kind. When you get your estate plan, which every financial advisor is going to tell you you need, you're going to pay legal fees. Uh, you're going to pay accounting fees to deal with your tax preparation if you hire an accountant, et cetera, et cetera. And if you hire that financial planner who gave you the financial plan for a one-time fee, if you then hire that same advisor to then manage your investments, in addition to the cost of the investments themselves, you're going to pay an asset management fee to that financial planner in a great many cases. Many financial advisors, including those here in our firm at Edelman Financial Engines, we have an annual investment management fee. So you need to keep all of these costs in mind, which is why we've produced a quick little sheet called Understanding the True Costs of Your Advisor, because you need to make sure you understand the total costs you will pay when dealing with a financial advisor. And the financial planning fee itself 
is only one part of those total costs. You've got the planning fee, the asset management fee, the cost of the investments themselves, and so on, which is why we always encourage folks to ask when you're shopping around for an advisor, don't ask what's your fee. Instead, ask, what are the total costs I will pay when working with you? Because if you just ask what's your fee, well, they may tell you. And what their fee is, is not necessarily the total cost you will incur. Does that make sense? So yeah, it's important you understand not just the financial planning fee, it's equally important you understand the total expenses of dealing with an advisor. And you won't know if the costs of dealing with that advisor are good or bad, reasonable or unreasonable, until you comparison shop. In other words, if we were to say to you here at our firm that our typical standard financial planning fee is $800, is that fee high or low? Until you compare, you won't know that our fee is a third of the national average. So you've got to do some comparison shopping. Even if you already have a financial advisor, doing comparison shopping could help reinforce that the decision you've already made for your current advisor was a good one, or it could help open your eyes to saying, golly gee willikers, maybe I can do better. Maybe I can get better results by seeing what else is available out there. So just additional food for thought. Let's take a question here on the Rick Edelman Show. Claire sent me her voicemail. She sent it to askrick at rickedelman.com. Let's listen in. My husband and I are 40 years old. We have five children, ages 5 to 15. Up until this point, we have only been able to contribute $10,000 to a 529 college savings plan. Now that I'm no longer a stay-at-home mom, I'm bringing in an extra $20,000 per year, and we're wondering how and if we should get started saving for college. We have a 401k, and it's currently at $140,000. We save about 20% of our income in our 401k. We have an emergency savings about a year's worth, and we own half of our house and have $150,000 in our mortgage left. Should we begin saving for college, or is it too late? If we do, should we put it in individual funds or in one lump sum? We do want our children to pay for some of their education, but would like to help. We're predicting they will be going to state schools. Thanks so much, and I love your show. Well, first of all, Claire, congratulations to you and your husband on the level of savings you've done so far. You've got a lot of money saved already. You've got a lot of equity built up in your home, and uh, you've got good cash reserves. All of that is terrific. It's never too late to start saving for college. However, I want to make sure that we acknowledge two things. First, the amount of time that you're saving is the key determinant in how much growth you're going to be able to potentially enjoy. So if the kids are only a couple of years away from college, there's not a lot of opportunity for long-term growth because of that fact. But you've got younger kids as well. So it does make sense to start saving for college for the kids. Uh, And you can choose whether you create one account in the name of the oldest child and any unused money can then trickle down to the younger children or open separate accounts, one for each child. You can do it either way. Most parents choose to set up separate accounts per child. Makes no difference. Do whichever you prefer. Second, you should only do this if your own retirement planning is already well situated. In other words, parents are often struggling with the dual challenge. Should I save for my retirement or should I save for my kid's college? Many cases, parents can't afford to do both fully. And given the choice, therefore, of one versus the other, many parents choose their own kid's college as a priority. And it's because you're a wonderful, loving, doting uh, parent. You want your kids to get the best start in life, and you want to do whatever it takes to, to make that happen. I get it. 
but that's not the correct answer. You need to save for your retirement first. And that means you need to go to a financial planner who can help confirm for you that you are, in fact, saving the correct amount of money in the correct investment strategy to make sure that your retirement will have enough money to meet your need. Why do I say to focus on retirement first? Very simple. Your kids can pay for their college degree during their working career. They get loans now, and they pay off the loans while they're working. You do that with your house. You live in the house while you're paying for it. You do it with your car. You're driving the car while you're paying for it. But retirement cannot be pre-funded. You cannot pay for retirement while you're in retirement. So you must save for retirement before you get there. And that is why if you have to choose between one versus the other, you must choose your own retirement savings. So you've got 140 grand in your 401k. You've got a lot of home equity, too much in my opinion. I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if your current savings rate is enough. So you need to talk to a financial advisor to get that question answered. Only after your advisor says to you that you are saving sufficiently to meet your retirement goal, can you then divert money toward your college savings goal. And I would recommend you start to have conversations, not just with your financial advisor right now, but with your children right now. They need to begin to understand today, even at the age of five, the economic realities of attending college. And I would encourage you to read my book, The truth about your future and to share the college chapters with them because it will help them understand the kind of career they ought to select and the kind of institution they ought to consider attending to help make sure that you and they are both achieving your separate and collective financial goals. Because remember, if you don't do it right, you're going to be living with them during your retirement, something I'm not sure any of you would be looking forward to. You can do the same thing Claire did. Send me your voice message via your smartphone. Email it to askrick at rickedelman.com. For free articles on personal finance, sign up for Rick's email update at rickedelman.com. How much do you need to save for retirement? Hi, I'm Rick Edelman, founder of Edelman Financial Engines. The question's simple, but the calculation can be complex. How much you need to save for retirement depends on how much income you want, what outside sources you'll have, like Social Security and pensions. And here's the good news. You don't have to guess. We can give you the answer. For more than 32 years, we've shown people just like you how much you need to save for retirement and how to invest it. And now's your chance. Call us for the personal financial advice and investment management services you need with local offices to serve you. At Edelman Financial Engines, we're happy to help you whether you have a little to invest or a lot or anything in between. Come see why thousands of folks just like you rely on Edelman Financial Engines. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. Or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Let's take a telephone call here on the Rick Edelman Show. Off to East Hampton, Massachusetts. Russ is with us on the air. Welcome to the program, Russ. How are you? 
I'm good. Thanks, Rick. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I've got a question about Social Security, claiming Social Security. Okay. Um, I see a lot of articles and calculators online that, you know, uh, our break-even calculators tell you how to maximize your Social Security. And that just strikes me as a little kind of a silly way of doing it. Like, I want to be in my deathbed and look back and say, oh, I got the most out of Social Security. <laughs> my, my plan is to uh, defer collecting until I'm 70 uh, because my wife is a couple years younger than me, and she's a girl, so she's probably going to outlive me, uh, in order to maximize her survivor benefit. Um, have I missed something? I mean, does it really matter? Uh, no, and in fact, I think what you've inadvertently done is maximize your Social Security benefit, the very thing you said you didn't want to bother trying to do. Uh, so in your situation, the two seem to fit. Uh, together very nicely, which is not necessarily always the case. Uh, and and you're correct uh, that you know it, it's funny that when you look at all these spreadsheets and uh, the calculations that financial analysts engage in, and you know geeks like me and, and my colleagues in our firm, there is a notion of let's maximize, let's get the best, let's nail it perfectly, let's make sure we sell at the very high and buy at the very low. You know, let's always do what we can to do that. And you're right. In the long run, the person who gets it perfectly right throughout their entire life is dead. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, the guy who dies with the most toys is dead. You know, it's not that the guy with the most toys wins, you know, and so we do have to recognize that the purpose of life is not really to maximize the statistics. The goal is what we want to do is live our life in a fulfilled way. Uh, and even if you don't maximize the number, you don't hit the number precisely, so what? As long as you're achieving your goals and you're able to provide yourself and your family with financial security, job well done. That's sufficient. And so in your case, your focus is making sure that your wife, who you feel is likely to survive you, and 80% of the time that's true, uh, you want to make sure she's okay. Uh, and so maximizing her survivor benefit is more important to you than maximizing your retirement benefit. I get it. Uh, that makes perfect sense. So we want to do the math, do the analysis to confirm that your approach for doing that is, in fact, going to achieve the result you're trying to achieve. And aside from that, you're all done. You, you got it right. Good for you. Okay. Well, thank you. So, yeah, you're not crazy. I think you're I, th I share your attitude that a lot of these folks are silly trying to maximize when I believe people should instead be focusing on instead of trying to maximize, you should optimize. You should try to get it right within the relativity of the totality of your life. In other words, the simple way of putting it, there's more to life than money. As my wife, Jean, likes to say, personal finance is more personal than finance. And when you're only playing with a spreadsheet and you're only looking at numbers, you can miss that point. So I think your observation is a valid one, Ross, and you should make sure that the financial advisor you're working with understands the humanity of money. Okay. Well, thank you. It's good to hear that confirmation. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it very much. Have a wonderful new year. Yeah, you do. Bye. That was Russ in East Hampton, Massachusetts, here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. Time now for everybody's favorite segment of the week, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman. 
co-founder here at Edelman Financial Engines, degree in consumer economics and nutrition. Gene's an expert in macrobiotic cooking, and it's a brand new year, Gene. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I know the holidays didn't feel much like holidays, and I'm not sure that we celebrated as we normally do for the new year. But we are here, and I think we will slowly put our toe in the water to see how this new year feels. But I do think that this past year has shown us, and hopefully we have embraced, the unpredictability of life and its ups and downs. And hopefully we've embraced how little control we have over our occurrences that influence and determine our life. It has been a year, but I think it's our greatest year. I think we have dug deep and we have found the greatest pieces of ourselves. We have found our creativity. We have found our gratitude. We have found our love for ourselves and for each other. And hopefully we've seen how surprisingly different everything can turn out. I think we kind of had blinders on that this is the way it had to be or was going to be. But last year, it turned everything upside down. And we got a chance to look at everything with fresh eyes. And I think that is the greatest gift. Hopefully we've seen how surprisingly different everything can turn out. And hopefully we have learned not to take a moment for granted. And also, I think the exercise of 2020, the big picture for 2020 was to figure out what fills our life with depth and meaning, the people, the experiences. I believe 2020, we learned that we can only control ourselves. And so how we start our day is so important. And so I've been practicing to start each day with a positive thought and a grateful heart right before I put my feet on the ground each day being able to see what the possibilities are and how we can make it the best day possible. It's a new year, and the last one was one that we will be studying for decades to come. And so for me personally, I like to start the new year with some reflection, and I ask myself a couple of questions. And so I wanted to share those questions with you. My two questions for this year are, how have the experiences of this past year affected me? How has it affected my outlook, my self-care, my relationship with others? And with all the positive changes made during the year, my second question is, how will I move forward? How will I make the positive changes a priority in each day in this new year? What are our changes that we made for ourselves? Think about it. Are we eating better? Are we moving more? Are we outside more? Are we taking breaks? Have we found some quiet? Are we choosing carefully what we put on our calendar? Maybe we reconciled with a person or an issue in our life. I know we are definitely embracing technology. And I think we've started to add some safe travel in our lives. So let's use 2021 as a stepping stone to a positive, happy, and healthy new year. So my word for the week is new. The N is for nimble. If we've learned anything in this past year, it's to be nimble, not to be anchored in our thinking and our attitudes. This will be a healthy world if we can take this word nimble into the new year. E is for emerge, to come into view. This past year, we got a chance to take a deeper dive within. 
This year, we're going to get a chance to get to bring that more into view, that which has been hidden for a very long time. Emerge. And W is for wonderful. Each moment we have breath in this life is wonderful. Don't take anyone or anything for granted. There are no promises. We have learned that. There are no promises for tomorrow. There's only now this moment and we need to make it wonderful. So I need to share that I'm just so grateful that I get to talk to all of you each week. And I wish all of you a happy and healthy 2021. Please stay safe in this new, nimble, emerging, wonderful new year. That was Gene Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. And yes, unfortunately, the dog, Hoshi. Thanks for joining us here on the program this week. If we can help you, call us at Triple H Plan Rick. Visit us online at ricedelman.com. Enjoy the holiday. We'll see you again next weekend right here on the Rick Edelman Show. Personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Hi, I'm Rick Edelman with a warning. Millions of people are buying stocks they think are low in price. Watch out. A lot of investors have no idea the risks they're taking. But you're holding steady, right? You haven't made a trade all year. That could be a problem, too. With COVID on the scene, you might need more in cash than before. and Maybe you need to reduce your market risk as well. Are you sure your portfolio is COVID-ready? Call us at Edelman Financial Engines, and let's review your investments and your entire financial situation and see if you're in good shape as this crisis continues. It's not the time to go it alone. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. Talk with one of my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines. We'll review your portfolio and make sure you're ready for what comes next. And we'll help you get through this crisis just like we've helped clients get through every crisis for the past 35 years. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. Online at ricedelman.com. 